So put our hands together. Welcome Pastor Mark this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us via video over in Appleton and Stevens Point. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. And again, welcome to those of you over in Appleton, Stevens Point, as well as those who watch all over the world online and those who watch here in Wisconsin on television. Quick uh, uh, update. Uh, today, we are having a ministry expo at all our campuses. So out in the foyer or whatever area you have <laughs> your campus, uh, they have a table set up. Uh, where you can go by and check out various ministry opportunities. Look for places where you can get involved, okay? Uh, you want to serve. Everybody say serve. All right, the thing about serving is it's not exactly the most glamorous thing on earth. Most people work very hard, so they don't spend their lives in the service industry. <laughs> All right, although some do. Uh, but when it comes to church, our opportunity is to serve people means to give and to help and finding ways that you can uh, contribute to the kingdom of God. And out there, you'll find different opportunities, ways that you can get connected, and you get connected on purpose, all right? And don't wait for God to speak to you in some magical voice to tell you where to get involved. The Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. So go out and find it, all right? I encourage that. I want to welcome those of you who are fairly new to Celebration Church. We're having a uh, meet the uh, pastors and staff at the various campuses, January 23rd, 6.30 p.m., Monday night, uh, and there will be free pizza available. It's one of our main motivations for us to show up, so, uh, so check it out. Now, we look forward to meeting you, uh, especially those of you who are new, and give you an opportunity to ask any questions that you have about the church. Who are you? Where do you come from? What's your background? What are the different things that you guys do? Any questions that you might have about Celebration Church, and uh, get a chance to meet uh, those who are involved in your leadership. Um, and then finally, we want to say a special shout out for uh, getting involved in the, the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. Few things are more frustrating in life than when you can't make ends meet. And it is very, very frustrating. Most people are convinced that their biggest financial problem is they just don't have enough money. But the reality is most people struggle not because they don't have enough money, because they make bad decisions and bad choices. It's interesting to watch people uh, of all income categories, from small income to huge hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, uh, the same problems seem to afflict everybody. They just get bigger with the bigger zeros. And uh, you need to learn how to handle the finances. God wants you to be blessed. 
and not cursed under the weight of bad finances. So I want you, uh, if you haven't been through this program, go through it. It'll be a great thing to learn how uh, to handle your money better and biblical insights into money. Got a quick promo from Mr. Ramsey this morning. What would happen if the people of God started handling money God's ways? hard to get to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. This is my family's legacy that I'm talking about here. I've got to have a plan and be focused. That knowledge that you pass down to your kids, that is how you change a family tree. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you have that moment where you say, I've had it! I'm not going to live like this anymore! All right, so check it out, Financial Peace University, whether you're in Appleton, Stephen Spawn here at the uh, Green Bay campuses, uh, if you haven't been through the program, go through the program. Even if you think, gee, I do this pretty well, it's good to go through it to really get an understanding of what the Bible says about how to handle your money. And believe it or not, God wants you to be blessed and to succeed so that you can have to give to others, right? If you're not blessed financially, you're not doing good financially, you can't give jack, Right? If you can barely make it from week to week, like so many people struggle. Uh, so you fix things on purpose. Be intentional about your life. All right? Check out that program. All right, now this morning, into this new year, I'm starting a new series entitled The Significant Events of the Old Testament. Now, the reason for this is I was meeting with our uh, T1 program. Now, we have a program just called Transition One. We call it T1 for short. It's a gap year program where we are encouraging people. And actually, this is all across the country. People are doing all sorts of gap years programs popping up. They all look uh, in various ways. Uh, Even President Obama's, one of his daughters, is doing a gap year program. Studies are showing that kids who do a gap year program are actually doing better in college than those who don't. What we are suggesting, slow down. You graduate from high school, take a year off, particularly from a Christian viewpoint. Put God first in your life, all right? Some groups put us to shame in this area. Uh, Mormons, Pastor Arnie's here this morning with his wife. Ah, Jan's here. Uh, You guys live in there with the Mormons. They do this. They encourage your kids. Take two years. Man, and it's all, all of the two years. You know, put your faith first. Evangelical churches are pretty bad about this. We get them in high school and we rush them off to college and rush them off into life and just being consumed by the cares of this life, something the Bible warns us about. Slow down is what we're encouraging people. So we got these young men and women who are part of this program. It's our second year doing it. And it's not a Bible college. We're not trying to turn them into preachers, but we do teach them what the Bible says. But we talk about life, how to succeed in life, how to handle money, how to make decisions, how to be leaders, how to think clearly, how to handle relationships. That's when they bring me in and I sit down and talk with them about uh, their choices in relationships. And as I was sitting with them and talking, I was using, you know, some, I would reference various stories from the Old Testament, events in the Old Testament. And I would say, you know, that's why David did such and such. Do you guys know about that story? And they looked at me, you know, I never heard of it. I said, well, do you remember when Abraham just said, no, I never heard of it. Every single story that we went through, they didn't know Jack. And it really frustrated me. I think, well, for heaven's sakes, what are we doing? We have got to do a better job of getting this information in people. 
The truth is, most Old Testament stories that people knew, they learned them as kids. And those are greatly simplified on purpose. You can't throw a bunch of theology at a six-year-old and expect them to process it. All right, so they'd give it in the most simplest terms. There's so many incredible things in these Old Testament accounts that show us about God and make things clear about who we are and what we do. Uh, really helps us to understand how to pray, how to approach things. The New Testament makes a lot more sense when you start to understand the events of the Old Testament. Okay, and I know a lot of you are fairly new at your faith. A lot of people in this church, man, are new in the last five years. And I'm pretty sure most of you don't know jack squat about these events in the Old Testament. So we were talking about it in our uh, meetings and said, you know what, I'm just going to do a series. We're just going to go through it. So that's what we're going to do. I have no idea how long this will take. We're not going to do the entire Old Testament. So don't panic. Okay. But there are key events that we want to look at. Now, some people <clears throat> get the impression that I don't like the Old Testament. I have people ask me, how come you don't like the Old Testament? One lady says, how come you don't, you say we're not supposed to read the Old Testament. That's not what I said. I never said that. Well, I said, if you're new in your faith, start with the New Testament, okay? The Old Testament's a little complicated, and to get in the weeds, and the worst part of it, it's not in order. <laughs> I don't know who made up the rules uh, about the, uh, the orders of the book, but they take stuff, and it's all out of it. You try and read it from beginning to end, you won't know what the heck they're talking about, okay? It gets kind of confusing. Uh, so start in the New Testament. The, my other knock on the Old Testament <clears throat> is don't get caught up in the Old Testament rules and regulations. It's called the law of Moses. We're not supposed to be living by the law of Moses. And I am just stunned by how many Christians seem to be drawn back to these Old Testament rules. Stop. It's like people are drawn back to that like the Israelites were drawn back to want to go back to Egypt and be slaves again. Stop. And I'm convinced one of the reasons people do this, there's a whole lot of people in life, they don't want to think, they just want to be told what to do. And some of you are listening to me right now, all right? Even some of you have jobs, you don't want to think about anything. If I can say, man, just, don't, don't, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do, I want to do it, and go home. That's all I want to do, okay? Well, that's fine if that's what you want to do with your career in life, you just want to be a worker, you don't want to think about anything, fine. But that's not going to work in your spirituality. At some point, you have to think and make choices based on God's principles, we don't live by Old Testament rules and regulations. And if there is one thing that crazy people, Christians though they may be, when they start going crazy, they quote from the Old Testament, okay? As people say, you know, the Bible says you're not supposed to have tattoos. Well, that's the Old Testament. The Bible says you shouldn't have things like Christmas trees in your house. Well, or uh, putting things on trees. That's the Old Testament, okay? But I said you shouldn't eat this, that, and the other. The Old Testament. Don't, just there's a minute someone starts quoting to you from the Old Testament telling you what to do. You should start hearing, dee -dee 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 and get away from them, all right? We don't live by that. And I get so grieved when I hear Christians getting culture battles in our uh, society, and I get it, there's a major culture battle been going on for decades in this country between the extremes left and right, and oftentimes Christians will run into some cultural things like the whole thing about homosexuality and say, you know, the Bible says it's supposed to kill homosexuals. Really? That's the Old Testament. And by the way, they said you're supposed to kill almost everybody. <laughs> if you worked on a Saturday, you know what they're supposed to do to you? Kill you. Not a lot of people worked on Saturday, all right? 
If you disobeyed your parents, they were supposed to kill you. That would wipe out half of you right there. If you cussed, they were supposed to kill you, which would wipe out the rest of you. All right? They were extreme. Say, why were they so strict? Well, there's all kinds of reasons for it, which I won't get into right now. Uh, the truth of the matter is there's very little evidence in Jewish history that they went around killing people for all these transgressions. The point was, don't do it. All right? And the kill you was a big exclamation point on why you shouldn't do it. So don't be quoting this stuff. There's stuff in the Old Testament that's just, it's just crazy stuff. I, they had rules about all kinds of stuff that I don't even know why. When you could work, when you couldn't work, when you sleep, when you shouldn't sleep, when you should do this, when you shouldn't do that. There's a rule here. You're not supposed to cook a goat in its mother's milk. Why? And who cooks goats in milk anyway? <laughs> Rules don't get caught up. And so when I talk about, disparagingly so, the Old Testament, I'm talking about the law of Moses. Don't get caught up in all the crazy rules. Well, what are we supposed to do? Live by the teachings of the New Testament. Everybody say new. Yeah. All right? That's the skinny part. It's a lot easier anyway. And follow those principles. So don't get all caught up. Having said all of that, there is so much to learn from what happened in the Old Testament. Because if you don't understand that, a lot of what we have today doesn't make sense. So we're going to go through, and we're going to go through all the major things that I think you should be really clear about and understand about what happened in some of these Old Testament stories and events. Of course, now the first significant event in the Old Testament is the account of creation. Now, we won't get into that again because we get into it every time that I do a teaching on the Apostles' Creed, the first part of the creed. We believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. Now, few things are more debated in the Bible than the early chapters of Genesis. How much of it is literal? How much of it is symbolic? How much of, you know, I, you know I, it doesn't really matter. You look at it either way, the point is very clear. All of it's very clear. Okay? I tend to take it more literally. I don't think God needed millions and millions of years to create life on this earth. If that's your version, God bless you. Okay? I don't care. The point is God did it. Everybody say God did it. We're not here by mistake. There wasn't some big cosmic burp in the universe and all of a sudden we all showed up someday. That's not how it worked. All right? God spoke and things started happening. Actually, there is a very strong verse in that account that is for, that uh, I'm surprised pro-evolution people, and I'm sure there's several here, that they don't use. There's one verse in that creation account that says, what God did is he told the earth to bring forth all the animals and stuff that are on the earth. So you could actually use that and say, well, the earth brought forth and one thing, one critter turned into another critter and stuff. I, can't, I don't really think that's how it happened, but... It's certainly there. But here's what's also important in the account of the creation. When it came to mankind, it was totally different. All right? However you think all the critters got here and all the plants got here, whether it took millions of years to get here, I don't care. But the reality is when it came to mankind, the Bible says God did something different. He didn't just call for the earth to bring forth stuff, okay? We didn't just evolve out of some critter that crawled out of a swamp, crawled up into a tree, turned into a monkey, and fell out in a business suit, all right? That's not what happened with us. 
When it came to man, the Bible says God did something different. The whole thing changes. He says he comes and he forms man out of the dust of the earth and breathes into him the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. So what we learn from this account of creation, number one, God did it, how he did it, who cares? It's just that God did it. And secondly, that when it came to man, we are different than the rest of creation. All right? So we've beat that to death many, many times, and I won't get there. So the next real significant account is the fall of man. So we want to take a look at that. Because without the fall of man, none of this makes any sense. Why are we in the mess we are today? Why is the world the way the world is today? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Why is all of this even happening? You can't understand it without understanding what happens with the fall of man. So that's where we're going to start. It's in Genesis the second chapter. Now, what happens is God creates this incredible environment and this beautiful garden. It's called the Garden of Eden. And if you've ever done much traveling around, there's parts of the world that are stunningly beautiful. But that's even as beautiful as it is, that's still the fallen version of this world. Can you imagine what it looked like in the unfallen version? It had to be stunning. I mean, wow. So Adam is created and he's put into this garden, and it is like screaming life and color and everything. I'm like, how incredible is this? And we read in Genesis, the second chapter, verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One tree. He says, You can't eat it. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, a lot of people ask, well, why the one tree? If it hadn't been for the tree, we wouldn't be in this mess. Well, I guess that's true. But the problem here is this. Without choice, there's really no love, okay? If, if God created an environment where our only choice is to love him, what version of love is that? That's very weak, okay? By creating a condition... Guys, you got all of this. It's wonderful, fabulous, but the one thing you can't touch. The minute he does that, now we have the existing condition. There is choice now to intentionally love God. And by the way, one of the things that just drives me crazy, which is a very short drive, <laughs> is, uh, is so much in our culture, this phrase of unconditional love. It's a secular concept that the church globbed onto, and it's virtually impossible to hear sermons without preachers on the radio, television, and churches talking about unconditional love. God loves you unconditionally. There's no conditions, no conditions, no conditions. And, and I know what they're trying to say. If they're trying to say God loves you no matter what, then yes. God loves us no matter what. I have no idea why. Because <laughs> I know me. <laughs> I'd have killed me a long time ago, you know that. Ooh, whoops! You know what I'm saying? That's that. He loves us. Just he just loves us absolutely. But to add the word unconditional is now you're getting in a bad place because without conditions, love isn't even possible. This idea of unconditional love is Hollywood nothing. Seriously, people, don't get your ideas on love and romance from Hollywood especially you young people, for the love of Pete, all right? Of any group of people who should not be able to talk about love and romance, it's Hollywood. 
These people can't stay married for six weeks at a time. And they tell us all about love. Ooh, they don't know Jack. And they come up with some of the stupidest things on earth. Some of you geezers my age, all right? Do you remember the movie, what was it, 1972, whatever it was, Love Story? Do you remember this movie that came out? And the big, the big quote from that is, love is never having to say you're sorry. What a crock. <laughs> love is nothing but, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that, okay? The idea that love is never having to say is not love. That's just a nightmare. <laughs> and you young people, you're dating some crazy chick or some guy who never can apologize for anything. Man, dump them and move on. All right? You don't need that version of crazy. You need someone who can handle the concept, you know what? I was wrong. <laughs> those of you who already married those people, too bad. All right? <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> but you who have a choice yet, don't do that. Love is never having to say you're sorry. All that stupid, ignorant things. And one stupid concept after another. That's where we got the idea of a soulmate. That one magical person created somewhere. And you got all these stupid chick flicks. All about the one magical you know, soulmate, and sometimes they have to, they have to, don't, yeah, yeah, pretty, and they have to cross time to find the soulmate. I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? It's just absurd. You know how many stupid chick flicks there are with some girl at the altar ready to marry the wrong idiot when magically the right idiot runs in the back and says, no, I'm the one, and then she leaves the guy at the altar. I mean, what a jerk. You are one narcissistic nightmare if you can just dump somebody at the altar to run to your soulmate. Oh, and the music swells. Oh, and the movie ends. Yeah, I'd like to see that movie in three years. I want to see that picture. <laughs> For the love of Pete. And then Christians, you know, we're so stupid sometimes. We, again, here's another version where we take the world's concept and we spiritualize it. You know how many churches, Bible colleges teach Christian young people that God has ordained one special person for everybody. It is nonsense. It is pure, unadulterated nonsense. You say, why is that, Pastor? Because if you have no choice, then no love can exist. If it's God says, you got to be with Bob, which God wouldn't do that to you on purpose, all right? <laughs> you got no choice but Bob. What, what is that? Real love is I choose to do life with you. I could choose someone, but I choose to do life with you. That's what love is. Don't be thinking this crazy stuff. You know, oh, this is one magical person, you know, and, you know, no conditions, no love without conditions. It's crazy. Of course, love has conditions. I did a whole book on it. It's called The Battle Over the Rules. There is, if there is one thing that is true, is in marriage, you have to have conditions. And every couple's got to battle out what the rules are. Because they all kind of change. You know, there's the basic rules. My wife has some basic rules on me. Apparently, I'm not allowed to date other women. 
<laughs> but by the way, I just I did a wedding yesterday. And when you do a wedding, there are rules, right? When you do the vows, those are the rules. By the way, listen to me, Escuchame, all you single people. You want me to do your wedding? You don't get to write your own vows. Marky don't play that game. <laughs> all right. In fact, the couple yesterday said, when do we read our vows? I went, oh, no, 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 we don't do that here. Really? No, 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 no. Because you make me feel like a puppy on a summer's day is not a vow. You got something warm and fuzzy you want to say to each other, you do that on your own time. <laughs> we get together. Do you take this man or woman? To be your husband or your wife, for better or for worse. I wonder what people think that means. The pastor's so horrible. It's just so horrible. Really, what did you think worse meant? <laughs> Do you remember the worst part? Better or worse? Right now it's worse. Hang in there. It'll eventually get better. Or, or somebody dies. There's, Better or worse, richer or poorer. Because we laughed. We broke out laughing, remember, on our wedding day. When he said richer or poorer, we just... Because <laughs> we didn't have Jack. We didn't have anything. Sickness and in health. Forsaking all others till death do us part. These are the rules. These are the conditions. Without those conditions, what do you got? You got Nothing. This idea of unconditional love sounds so romantic, it even sounds spiritual. It's a crock. Good preaching. <laughs> All right. So he gives them the rule. Don't eat of the one tree. So then Adam starts going around, and it's fabulous in there. And, uh, and God looks at Adam, and it doesn't take long before he says, this boy needs some help. And, uh, and, then, and then he says, we need to make, make the chick. So second, Genesis, second chapter, verse 21. So the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. God was the first anesthesiologist. Deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. There's actually debate about what part of the body he took. Who cares? People argue about the stupidest things. But he takes a, takes a part of man. And he closes it up, and then with that part, he makes a woman, a woman from the rib, and, and taken and brought her to the man. So now there's the guy, and then there's the girl. Then we read in chapter 3. Now, this is the key part. Now, the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord God had made, clearly in reference to Satan. And he says to the woman, did God really say? See, the first thing the devil will try to do to you is get you to doubt. Right? That's number one. This is this from the beginning, his opening salvo. Did God, God really say? And remember, who's he talking to? Eve. Who did God say you can eat of the one tree? Adam. So she heard it secondhand. See? He heard it secondhand because God is, you know, hey, listen, nobody here heard God say much of anything. Right, we learn God's word. You need to trust God's word. Don't let doubt come in and start getting you to doubt 
God's word. He says, did God really say? And then he says, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Is that what God said? He didn't say you couldn't eat from any tree. But right away, he exaggerates. He said, did God really say? And then what God did say, he just made it exaggerated. And, and the woman says, no, no, no. We can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Did God say you couldn't touch it? That's not what he said, see. Now, she's starting to exaggerate. Starting to exaggerate, taking things out of context. By the way, if you don't know what the Bible says about your life, read the Bible. That's why you should read the Bible. Find out what it says. So many people, they just want to hear what somebody else says about it. The problem with that is you become a sucker for anything. There's so many people that the minute they hear some preacher say something, they say, well, he said it's in the Bible. Don't believe it. Don't even believe me. If I say something, check it out, right? In fact, the New Testament talks about uh, the Bereans. Paul's going to preach. He'd been in Thessalon Thessalonica, and then he goes to the Berean church. And the Bible says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they looked it up everything that Paul said and see it, said if it was true. See, the people who just agree and just believe, oh, pastor, whatever you say, I believe it. That's not noble. Okay, check it out, learn, grow from it. So you know, so someone can't come in and start talking to you into things that'll get you into trouble. Well, she says, yeah, you can't even touch, or you're going to die. And of course, the servant says, verse four, you you won't die. Come on, for God knows that when you eat. Uh, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. And then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. I'm so hungry and pleasing to the eye. It's so pretty. Look, it glows. And desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was right there with her, and he Ate it. Now, this sounds like such a small deal, but it's a huge deal. This is when mankind intentionally took what God said, one tree, one. He said you can have anything, but the one you can't, they went and they took that one. And the moment that happened, that's when sin entered the earth and all the death and the awfulness and the hatred and the wars and the sickness, all of that is a result of mankind God, mankind telling God to stick it. And we're going to do it our way. I know, I know God wants us to do this, but, 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 but. A lot of people are like that. You have no idea how many Christians I run into that are doing and behaving in bad ways, and some of you know exactly the kind of stuff I'm talking about, and I'll say, you know you shouldn't be doing that. And they all say, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but. Now, who does that sound like? A little serpent, Right? Well, I know the Bible says, but I think, you know, it doesn't apply to me because my situation is different and our circumstances. I know the Bible says that, but, 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 but. You start thinking those terms, you're in a bad place. And that is why the world is in the mess that it's in. And I get such a kick out of people who say, you know, well, if there's really a God, why is there so much sickness in the earth? Why is there so much hatred in the earth? Why are there so many wars? If there's a God, why... The reason we have that is because man told God to stick it. I'm going to do it my way. And as soon as mankind decided to do it his own way, that's what brought all of this sickness, death, 
and destruction into the world. And that's what set up the situation where we needed a savior. That's why God sends Jesus in the world to straighten out the mess that Adam had created. And Paul writes about this. We're talking about this next week because we're not done yet. We're going to have to pick up the second half. What happens as a result of the fall and how the, uh, the Bible says that Adam through one man brought death and through one man, Jesus Christ brought life. And that's what all of that is about. And we start to understand why Jesus died, why there was the sacrifice. Because if you don't understand the fall, this significant event in the Old Testament, nothing else makes sense. If you don't understand anything about the first part of the Bible, understand this. God made it, but at some point, man turned his back on God. And that's what has created the mess that we're in. So my question to you this morning is, where are you at? Is your back turned to God? You're just living your life, ignoring what God says. Maybe you don't even know what God says. Or maybe you know what God says, but, 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 but. That's a bad place to be. You want to turn your heart and your life to him. Jesus Christ came that you might experience forgiveness of sins and that he could set right what this initial sin had set wrong in all of us. In a minute, we're going to be having communion at our various campuses. And it'll be an opportunity for you to pray with us to ask Jesus Christ into your life, to make right what has been set wrong in your life. That's why Jesus died. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us, Lord, to understand these truths so that we can understand where we are and what life is about and why we have what we have. Despite the disaster that was created so long ago with these first two that decided to disappoint um, disagree with you and disobey you. Lord, that attitude has been permeated in all of mankind ever since. So many of us, all of us here, Lord, have at some point decided we're going to do things our own way and ignore what's right and do whatever we felt didn't matter, make excuses. But Lord, all that brings death and destruction and heartache. We thank you that Jesus came, that we might have forgiveness of sins. We thank you that through the cross, all things are made right. And for this, we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, and God bless the Green Bay Packers. <laughs>